أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم All praises to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be upon Prophet Muhammad and upon his family and companions and all who follow him until the day of judgment. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Weekly Iman Boosters by Ikna Sisters. In the past few sessions, we listened to various different strategies that shaitan uses to attack us. And today we'll be talking about how shaitan launches an all-out attack on us when we start to do good. Because this is such a detailed topic, we won't be discussing how to guard ourselves against him until the next session. So Shaitan knows that we are usually on guard against committing sins. And so in his all-out attack, he tries a different approach, where he encourages us to take small, subtle steps that gradually and imperceptibly pull us away from Iman. So I'd like to share with you a story that falls under a category called Israeliyat. Israeliyat are stories from the Judeo-Christian traditions that are found in some books of Tafsir. And if this is the first time you're hearing about Israeliyat, you might be really surprised to know that some scholars of Tafsir used such stories in their explanation of Quranic verses. Uh, I know that I was definitely very surprised when I first learned about it. But when you actually think about it, uh, it makes sense because there's considerable overlap in topics between the three divine books, especially the people and the stories that are mentioned. The only difference, of course, is that the Judeo-Christian sources give far more details whereas the Qur'an focuses on the lessons in the stories. And you might be wondering why it's even necessary to consult Judeo-Christian sources, uh, Judeo sources at all. Um, what's important for us to understand is that scholars from different time periods have always analyzed and explained the Qur'an with different approaches depending on whatever the current issues of their time were. And there was a specific time period when Israeliyat had become a major source of fascination for people. So just like in the present time, scientific discoveries are a source of fascination and we can find lectures from contemporary scholars that talk about how the Qur'an and science support one another and so on. In the same manner, Israeliyat um, found their way into the books of Tafsirs. Now, there are certain rules regarding which Israeliyat we should narrate and which ones we should leave aside. So the Israeliyat that go against our beliefs, those are outright rejected. However, the ones that don't directly contradict our beliefs um, may be narrated and we may benefit from the general lessons that are in them, but we don't consider them to be 100% factual. So the story that I'm about to share with you is about a man who was known as Bersisa the Worshipper. Bersisa was a pious man from Bani Israel, and he was approached by three brothers who were about to go on jihad who wanted to leave their unmarried sister in his care while they were away. And the reason they wanted to entrust her with him was because of his piety. However, at first Bersisa refused to help because he didn't want to, the sole responsibility of a woman that he was unrelated to. Uh, however, the brothers insisted and eventually he gave in with the condition that the woman would live in a separate house next to his place of worship. And he intended to have as little contact with her as possible. So at first, everything went according to plan. However, as time went on, Shaitan approached him repeatedly and started making very subtle suggestions that he could be doing more that Bersisa could show the woman more kindness and spend more time with her, all as a way of doing good. And because the suggestion seemed to be urging him to do more good and earn more reward, Bersisa kept on complying. And eventually what happened was that he and the woman became so close that they ended up committing zina. And that resulted in her becoming pregnant and eventually giving birth to a baby boy. 
Then Shaitan caused Barsisa to panic with thoughts of what the brother's reaction would be once they returned and found out what he'd done. So Shaitan urged him to kill the baby, and Barsisa did that. Next, Shaitan convinced him that he must also kill the woman in order to keep his secret. And so Barsisa does that too. When the brothers finally return, Barsisa tells them that their sister died and shows them her grave. The brothers are, are sad, but they never doubt that Bersisa is telling the truth. However, that night when they go to sleep, they all have the same dream in which Shaitan appears to them as a traveler and tells them that if they dig up their, their sister's grave, they'll find the bones of her baby with her. So they go ahead and, and they check the grave and they're surprised to find that the dream is true. When they confront Bersisa, he admits to everything. The brothers are, are enraged and they're about to crucify him for his actions when Shaitan appears to Bersisa one last time. And he tells him that if he renounces his faith, he will save him. So again, Bersisa complies. And having achieved his aim in destroying Bersisa's Iman, Shaitan declares that he is innocent and he's free of him. Lo, I fear Allah, the Lord of the worlds, is what he says. And this is from Surah Al-Hashr, verse number 16. And it is in the commentary of this verse that we normally find this story narrated. So if I ask you to reflect on where Bersisa first went wrong, what would you say? Now, Bersisa made many mistakes, zina, murder, lying. But the mistake that sent him down this destructive path was accepting a responsibility that was not suited for him. And that's how he left himself vulnerable to shaitan's attack. And look at how shaitan attacked him. He used his piety against him. He kept on convincing him that he was doing good deeds, when in fact what he was actually doing was crossing the limits set by Allah. Shaitan convinced him that he did not need to adhere to Allah's restrictions, and that is why he fell into his trap. But the true culprits in this tragedy are the brothers, because they neglected their sister, and instead entrusted her welfare to a stranger, regardless of his famed piety. And in their case also, they attempted to do more good than was required of them, and they also suffered the consequences. Both the brothers as well as Bersisa thought that they were earning rewards from Allah, but what they were actually doing was following their desires by taking on more than what Allah asked of them. Allah, our Lord and Creator, knows our limits, and He sets our boundaries accordingly. And we see from numerous ahadith that we are cautioned against and sometimes outright forbidden from making the religion harder by imposing additional requirements or restrictions, and we should be mindful of that. The Prophet ﷺ told Umar not to forbid the female servants of Allah from going to the masjid. At another time, he also expressed his displeasure when three women who came to visit Aisha vowed to abstain from marriage and to pray and, more, uh, pray and fast more than even the Prophet himself. Rasulullah said, The religion of Islam is easy, and whoever makes the religion difficult, it will overpower him. So follow a middle course in worship, and if you can't do this, do something near to it and give glad tidings and seek help of Allah in the morning and at dusk and at some part of the night. And this hadith is narrated in Bukhari. Now, I've spoken to some people who insist that they will not shorten their prayer while traveling because it seems wrong, or it's not that difficult for me to pray the complete prayer. 
and they actually look down on others who do shorten their prayer, and they consider themselves to be more righteous than them. I mean, the prayer was made followed by Allah, and He's the one who also commanded that it should be shortened during travel. So if you pray out of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, shouldn't you also shorten your prayer out of obedience to Him? On the other hand, there are people who perceive themselves as being so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they don't even need to perform salah or do other acts of ibadah. They say that they remember Allah all the time, Allah is in their hearts all the time, so they don't need the help of prayer to remember Him. And they think that all these formal acts of worship are for others who they think are not at the same level of closeness to Allah as themselves. And they forget that the Prophet ﷺ was reported to spend the night standing in prayer so long that his feet would swell. I mean, do they believe that there is a level of closeness to Allah that even the Prophet ﷺ did not attain, but that somehow they have? Both of these thoughts are examples of a terrible delusion and are mixed with arrogance and ignorance. And what's important to remember is that we are ordered in the hadith to strive to seek Allah's pleasure through the acts that are followed first and foremost. And then after that, the acts that are based on the sunnah of the Prophet And in this manner, we will not be following our desires, we'll be doing what we are commanded. And remember that no one is above following the limits that are set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person's knowledge or piety does not protect them from making mistakes. That's something that we need to remember. And too often we place our scholars and teachers on pedestals and we forget that they are only human. We forget that Surah Nisa verse 28 refers to them too. Yuridullahu an ankum wa insanu That Allah desires to lighten your burden and humans have been created weak. Now there are many other ayat in our hadith that speak of the same topic of the ease that Allah desires for us, but the context of this particular ayah fits in very well with our discussion of Bersisa's story. There's a group of scholars who say that because the verses that precede this ayah are talking about the ease that Allah has placed in nikah, the weakness referred to here is men's weakness in their desire to be with women. So. No one should think that they are beyond the fitna of of temptations, of doubt, pride, insecurities. All of these are weapons from shaitan's arsenal, as was discussed in previous talks. Because once a person starts thinking that they are above um, or beyond uh, these difficulties or these uh, these fitnas, they they lower their shields and they stop protecting themselves. And and that is literally the worst thing to do when you're under an all-out attack. The story of Bersisa strikes a chord with a fear I think that we have all experienced at times in our lives. Like It bears a deeply uncomfortable and shameful feeling that we often try to bury and ignore. It's this feeling of being unworthy or of being too dirty or, or even beyond redemption you know, to call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's that heavy feeling of dread mingled with fear and feeling incapable. And, you know, once we're in that mindset, we start to feel hopeless and any task seems too enormous for us to accomplish. And we see ourselves as very small and weak uh, in in front of that task. Um, And we know that the problem is with ourselves and that we're in need need of, of a reset. But the only way to that reset is through seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And for many of us, this feeling is not unfamiliar. We have all experienced it at one time or another. And uh, I'll actually end over here by sharing a personal example. Um, years ago, when I first became a mother, despite my best efforts, I started to miss a lot of prayers. And when I did get a chance to pray, it would be either very rushed or it would end up being interrupted by my baby. And this situation upset me so much that I started to feel that it was useless for me to even pray. I started thinking that because my prayers lacked focus and the quality that they used to have, that they wouldn't be accepted. And I was so depressed by this that sometimes I would end up sitting in front of a prayer rug, but not praying. And I didn't talk about this with anyone because um, of the shame that I felt and also because of the fear of judgment. Uh, I was afraid that people would say, well, you're sinful for missing prayer and skipping prayers on purpose is kufr. And don't, you know, you know, I mean, obviously I knew these things, you know, and that's why I felt so bad about it. Um, when I finally did get the courage to say something, uh, it's true that I, I heard a lot of the comments that I was expecting. But also a friend gave me some advice that completely changed my perspective. And that's why I'm talking about it now, because hiding a problem doesn't help to solve it. And if we don't talk about it, how will we know that others are also going through it? So inshallah, uh, in, uh, in the next talk, I'll share my friend's wonderful insight about prayer and we'll discuss some other important ways to fight back against shaitan. So jazakumullah khairan for listening. Assalamu alaikum.